0: Hi there, this is Pastor Tim. I'm the minister at Eastside Church. We are a United Methodist congregation in East Atlanta Village. We seek to be creative, historic, and inclusive. And we are thrilled that you found our podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, you can visit us at www.eastsideatl.org. Well again, good morning, friends and welcome to worship with us here at Eastside, if I missed you at the beginning of service. Again, my name is Pastor Tim, I'm a minister here, and something we ask everyone to take a minute and do is to fill out that online check-in form that you can find in the comments section of the live feed. It helps us tremendously as we seek to be as much in community as we can in this time and it helps our our leadership and our staff to to know who's out there and to be able to have a chance to lift up your prayer requests and to put some names and faces with the the worship experiences that we're having together. So if you can take a minute and fill that out, it's very helpful for our community. It's hard to believe, but this morning actually does bring us to the, the fifth Sunday in the season of Lent. And however you're experiencing time right now, I can tell you that for me, Lent has flown by and it's it's hard for me to believe that this is already here and upon us. And we're quickly looking forward and ahead to Holy Week with Palm Sunday coming up next week. And if you've been with us for the last several weeks, then you know that we've been continuing a sermon preaching journey that we've been on since January that we've titled Mosaic, Reflections from the Wilderness. And in an attempt to to reflect as a a church collective, but even more broadly as human beings on this planet right now, we have wanted in the preaching life and liturgical life of our church to have space for our community to reflect, to contemplate, to meditate on the experience of the wilderness that we have lived in over the past year during this pandemic and that we continue in in many ways in regards to this day. And part of what we've continued to ask, though, is, is yes, maybe we have been living in the wilderness, in some equate wilderness, to desert and to negativity, to hard seasons of life, sure. But at the same time, the wilderness can be a, a rugged place, but it can also be a beautiful place where where f- we're learning is forced upon us. It's not sort of something that we open up a book and enter into, but it's something that survival and life and reality requires of us to learn new skills and new ways of being, to approach the, the ruggedness of the season that is in front of us. The wilderness often pushes us as human beings to, to grow, and often that growth is painful and uncomfortable, but the big question we continue to ask as we reflect from the wilderness is what, what, what kind of a beautiful work is God putting together in you, through you, in your life through this season? What, what good, what, what beautiful art, what beautiful mosaic? A mosaic is the bringing together of broken pieces what, what brokenness is God bringing together in your life, through your life, from this pandemic season for the good, to grow you, to mature you, to make our world a better, more beautiful place? We've been asking these kinds of questions. And we've been living for the last two weeks, and this is the third of these weeks, in the Old Testament, the Hebrew book of Ecclesiastes. And... I'm gonna say more about Ecclesiastes in a minute, but it is really this fascinating and complex literary work that we find in the Hebrew Bible. And it really really walks us through and up against some of the, the harder questions that human experience forces us to ask. And this morning we're going to reflect not as much on on those questions as much as on the sort of paradoxical way that the theme of wisdom is interwoven into the book of ecclesiastes and as i as i worked through the the letter not the letter but the the book i, I, I there was many different texts i could have could have walked us through this morning But I decided on this passage from Ecclesiastes chapter seven. We're gonna begin reading in verse 10. And as I read, friends, I invite you first and foremost to just embrace a bodily posture that is comfortable for you, that is a, a, a posture of receptivity and that allows for something sacred to be offered. And as I read, I invite you to listen for the living word of God for us today. The ancient writer writes, Do not say, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is as good as an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom gives life to the one who possesses it. Consider the work of God, who can make straight what God has made crooked. On the day of prosperity, be joyful. On the day of adversity, consider, God has made one as well as the other, so that mortals may not find out anything that will come after them. Friends, the word of God for us, the people of God, thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy and gracious one, God of the past, God of the future, may your spirit, your presence, your life break into our present, wherever we find ourselves on this morning, God, and may you enliven the words that I have prepared, may you make them be your word for your people in this time, God, speak through them and were necessary in spite of me. And as I preach, God, may the words of my mouth and the collective meditations of all of our hearts in this time be found good, right, pleasing, and acceptable in your sight. God our rock, God our redeemer, God our savior. All of this we pray in the name of the Christ. Amen. So you may or may not know this, but as I was saying in the introduction, the book of Ecclesiastes really is kind of a strange book, especially when you think about it in terms of what's called the canon of Holy Scripture, which is the, the sort of inclusion of which books made it in and which books didn't make it out, and canon specifically for, for, for our conversation this morning of the Old Testament, which books made it in the Old Testament and which ones did not, because you can actually find rabbis debating in antiquity, whether or not they should let young, immature Jewish readers have access to the book of Ecclesiastes, because they were a little bit uncomfortable with maybe how it would sit with younger, less mature readers. Maybe it would just serve to confuse them more than anything else, or... Perhaps it would send them spiraling into an existential sense of despair as they reflect on the reality of their mortality. These are some of the themes that Ecclesiastes invites us to gingerly enter into. But it was and continues to be a a debate about why they did include Ecclesiastes in the Bible because arguments fly from all directions, whether it's orthodox or not, whether it has the the, the the correct, I guess, understanding of the divine when you look at it comparatively to other books in the Old Testament. But frankly, I'm, I'm really grateful that they included Ecclesiastes, and I find it to be a book of, of deep resonance and... It's a book that I think churns the waters of our experience and our hearts and our minds and it it makes us think and pushes us to consider things that maybe we wouldn't otherwise be as likely to consider. Like a good piece of literature, like like a powerful story, book of Ecclesiastes, quickly and almost jarringly at times pushes us right up against the edge of our mortality, of meaning, of life, and and asks really challenging questions. Is life meaningless? Is there any point to any of this? If we're all gonna return to dust, how are we different than animals? Who too will return to a state of dust? These questions get asked in Ecclesiastes, and yes, many will read the book and say, it seems kinda dark. And I think that there's some truth to that statement. I don't know if dark is the proper word to represent what people mean when they say that. But I think that Ecclesiastes does help us as human beings to wrestle with, to talk about the sort of full spectrum of human emotion and human experience. It, It puts on display these feelings that many people, if not all of us at different points in our lives have, and questions that we ask about meaning, about life, about mortality, about what is going on here and what really matters. It asks these big questions. But Ecclesiastes doesn't just ask questions, though it does that well. Throughout the, throughout the book we find woven into it these these sections like our reading this morning that speak to this this ancient Jewish idea, and, and again it wasn't just a Jewish idea, but it has its own unique sort of sense within Judaism of wisdom. One of the most important and sort of valuable themes and, and realities within the ancient Jewish world was this idea of, of wisdom. What is wisdom and how does it interact with human beings? And wisdom is such a profound idea in ancient Judaism that in the, the proverb that Andy read for our, our liturgical reading this morning, it gets personified. It's, been, it's given a literary personality. It, it's it's this, this feminine voice that, almost like the New Testament vision of the Holy Spirit, sort of darts and travels throughout the streets calling out to people, trying to, to call people into better life, better existence, better a better way. Wisdom is, is not just this sort of dead philosophical notion of the ancient philosophers in Judaism, but it's this living, lively, dancing, darting reality that's active in the world. And Ecclesiastes speaks much of wisdom And it speaks much of wisdom's importance in the midst of these intense why questions that it raises. It almost juxtaposes this this centrally important reality within ancient Judaism of wisdom alongside of these really challenging questions about meaning and life. And what's fascinating to me, one of the realities of this book that's so fascinating to me is the way that the author is, is uniquely willing to, to push people, the reader, to kind of the edge of despair. And then he kind of, then will circle back around though from that place to then offering some insight about life or humanity that's, that's not necessarily so negative. He'll move through this, everything feels meaningless and pointless to actually... It's about rightly relating to these different seasons or realities in our life, and they feel like vanity when we don't understand where we are and what we are doing. But if we can rightly learn to relate to the seasonality, to the cycle of life, to what we're actually doing here, it can be really beautiful and meaningful and joyful and rich and deep. And that begins to get us to this idea of... of, this ancient Jewish idea of wisdom. Living well, rightly, and sync, fully. Because part of what Ecclesiastes needs to do is to shake us up enough to help us see, especially depending on what kind of background we maybe have come from, that no, the world is actually really hard and confusing and there are a lot of really troubling questions. We see the behavior of human beings in our own city in this past week with the, the killings, the racially motivated killings that have, have shot shockwaves through our country and through the world and yeah, we're reminded yet again that there are really hard, dark questions that we have to address and ask and deal with and, and Ecclesiastes pushes us to this. And it meets it with wisdom. It doesn't leave us to have these conversations in a vacuum, but it, it brings in this idea that there is, there is a wisdom that can be brought to the table of these hard conversations. And I think the way that, that Joe, or that, Ecclesiastes gets us there is kind of in some ways similar to the book of Job, but but also different. But it's by the the way that many of our world religions kind of get where they need to go or get where they have to go, and it's through the thorny question of human suffering. It's this inescapable conundrum that we're all aware of, that, that life seems to be at least equal parts, right? Challenging and difficult and painful, as it is good and joyful and happy and fulfilling and, and, and we beg the question of why? If the creator is all-powerful, then why not just go ahead and create a world where we only experience joy and happiness and goodness all the time? If God is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-good, then why do we human beings live in this, this world where it's, it's both parts, right? It's joy and sadness, it's, it's good and it's bad, it's suffering and it's fulfillment. Why are, are there pandemics? Why is there disappointment? I think in our Jewish and Christian traditions, there is an inextric- inextricable link between these kind of seemingly dark questions around pain and around suffering and around our mortality to at the same time bringing us to a place where we can begin to talk about the wisdom of God and the the knowledge and the depth of the divine coming to bear in our minds and our lives and in our hearts. In our tradition, I wonder if one of the 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 first and most important ways that we begin to fathom and think about wisdom is when we bump up against the edge of questions that we struggle with. And it's in that bumping up against, saying even science and whatever kind of of rational knowledge can't get me answers to questions of beauty and why and meaning. Can wisdom breathe new insight, something that transcends flat categories of simple data or scientific method. There's something deeper, more with the the transcendent level of richness to our knowing, to our understanding. I titled the sermon this morning, Wise Mind, and it's this, this concept in therapy where It can be a tendency for some folks to live totally in the rational and the objective and to be detached kind of from the the feeling experience from what we might describe as the heart. And other folks maybe live more centrally in that feeling experience place where they feel everything with deep depth and strength and overwhelming uh, presence and, and wise mind is kind of this challenge to, to learn to bring those two parts of us together, our, our rational, our objective, and our feeling centers, and find that middle ground, that wise mind where it's both head and heart working in tandem together as one. And I wonder if that's not a helpful way as well to, to work our way into the ancient idea of wisdom. Wisdom does, though, it kind of, at least in my experience, kind of darts around definition. Uh, I've, not, I've not found one definition that I find to be the the perfect one. And I think different traditions, religious traditions, philosophical traditions probably have their own ways of talking about it. But within Christianity and our Jewish roots, how do we talk about it? And one of the ways that I personally find helpful sometimes to understand evasive concepts is to sort of understand them in comparison or contrast to other ideas. So one of the questions that raised, this raised for me was, is, is, wisdom, is wisdom simply another word for knowledge? And wisdom, I, I think you could say wisdom is not devoid of knowledge or absent of knowledge. A wise person would need some knowledge about things. A rational mind would be a good, a good deal of help on the journey to wisdom. And it would also be challenging for an ignorant person, right, to, to be heralded as wise. But I don't think you can equate knowledge and wisdom as being the same thing, because a lack of knowledge might... A lack of knowledge might make you ignorant, but having knowledge doesn't necessarily make you wise. You can be smart and kind of act foolish. You can be intelligent and kind of be really dumb, frankly. You can be an incredible Jeopardy player or the world's best trivia teammate and know all the things. You, you might be a wonderful scientist or a renowned professor in whatever study. You may know it all about X, Y, or Z. But none of us are shocked when I say that at the same time we know of scientists, brilliant people, professors, people who know all the things about something who at the same time have made rather remarkably foolish mistakes in their lives, or intentional path choices that we look at and say, why did you do that? Because being smart, being knowledgeable even, isn't the same as being wise. Not to say that wise people aren't smart or aren't knowledgeable, but they cannot be equated. Encyclopedic knowledge about the world doesn't doesn't necessarily make us have a sense of how that knowledge ought to be applied in our lived reality, right? I can know something about something, but that doesn't mean I understand how that reality ought to be lived out in how I live my life. What's the marriage between the mind and the heart? What's the, the relationship between kind of our emotional reality and center and our intellectual knowledge-based, data-based rational self? In scripture, the, the word foolish is always the, the word that's offered as the opposite of wisdom. Wisdom is the Hebrew word, chachma. Um I don't remember what the word foolish is in Hebrew, but, but I do find it interesting that, that that's the opposite that is offered time and time again throughout the ancient Hebrew scriptures is, is foolishness. So for me at least, I think the closest thing I can get to a definition for wisdom from, from the Christian Jewish tradition it is it's sort of like a, a sense of knowledge that, that's not just flat data, but that's knowledge that transforms and informs our being and our doing. It's, it's living knowledge, if you will. It's, it's an understanding that changes who I am and how I am. It's not just flat data, it's not just sort of objective in the brain, But it's this holistic knowledge that requires the application, the implication, the putting into practice. It's the combination of knowing, being, and doing. Wisdom is not a static idea, but it is a living reality as we go back. It's calling in the streets in the book of Proverbs and and waking people up. And it's a reality that if it's wisdom, will impact the way that not only we think about something or know about something, but the way we live our lives and the way we behave in the world. Again, I wish I had a clean, perfect definition for wisdom, but I don't. But I think from the scriptures, we have to say that, that, yeah, wisdom incorporates knowledge, but it's not, it's, not just, it's not just knowing data or having information. And it's also a lot more than just some good advice that somebody gives someone else. It, it, it's, it's more than just one human offering another human a bit of advice that they should follow. Wisdom, it's deeper than this. It has this this sort of divine dimension to it. It can't just be about giving somebody advice on where to find a parking space at the stadium. It's much richer than this. It can't just be about a recommendation on Yelp or a a referral for something. It, It can't just be, well, when I got married, X, Y, or Z, so... You should do this for your reception. It's so much bigger than this. And I think that our, our reading this morning is a good example of, of, of the way in which sort of an offering of wisdom gets activated in the, the mind and the experience of the hearer. Because our, 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 our writer says, why, why is it the human beings are always looking on the past and asking why it was better then than it is now? We shouldn't ask this question. (laughs) It's like, yes, there it is. You're right, we do do that. You do it, and I do it, and all of us do it. Sometimes we do it collectively when we elect certain people to office. Sometimes we do it as individuals when we're mad about this particular phase of our lives, whatever it may be. We find it in the book of Exodus with the Hebrews in the wilderness. After they've been liberated from their enslaved lives in Egypt, they begin to nostalgically look back on their oppressors and their time in the oppressed place and want to go back because they're tired of the wilderness and of being hungry. Why do we look back at the past and say that things were better back then? In this pandemic season, it can be very easy to be nostalgic about the old days, whatever that means for you, about your old job, the way you related to the world. And I can't help but wonder if there's gonna be some people that are nostalgic about this season in weird ways, in surprising ways, right? They may not see it now, but then on looking back, because what, what the author gets at here is, is, is this deeper human tendency and interaction with life, and if we can internalize what's being said here, we can begin to change the way that we relate to the right now, which is really what's being talked about. Because if we're, we're asking why was it better then, what, what are we actually doing? We're, we're devaluing the now by elevating the then. And we're making ourselves less present to what's right here and in front of us. Whereas the, the, the author of Ecclesiastes is saying, no, 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 there's seasons for everything. The wise person learns to attune and to attend to whatever season is, is here now. Don't wish for something that's not. Don't regret something that was. Neither of those are going to help you live fully present in this moment and in this season in your life. It's going to draw your presence either back into something or draw your desire and forward into something that's not. And both are going to detract from your capacity to be fully present present, whether that means fully present in the joy and the gratitude of what's in front of you, or fully present mourning whatever sadness or sorrow or reality is taking place, probably some combination of both. But why do we look and ask why it was better then? Wisdom is is a little bit like, and this is a crude metaphor, but it's a little bit like working to actually pay attention to what is the event that we're showing up to. Is it a wedding? Is it a funeral? Is it a hangout party with friends on a Friday night? And what is the appropriate outfit to go to said event? Right, if it's a wedding, maybe you dress up, but you wear comfortable shoes because you wanna dance later. If it's a funeral and it's raining out, you may wear all black and bring your top coat and an umbrella. And, and if it's a half marathon, don't wear steel-toed work boots to run it, right? But if it's a church work day, wear your steel-toed work boots because, you know, somebody might be swinging a shovel and those work boots might come in handy. But, but I think wisdom has this sense of, of sort of divine interaction with our humanity and our interpretation of what's going on and asking, like, what event am I showing up to right now in my life, and am I wearing the right outfit for it? And I can't wear the right outfit if I don't even know what I'm showing up to, if I'm not even perceiving what's right in front of me. So just a couple quick tips for how we can kind of practice this, this undefined idea of biblical wisdom that we've been living with this morning. First is Consult, actually they're all consults, but the first kind of consult is be willing to consult with with dead elders. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of people that have lived before you, like a lot. And some of them said some really wise, rich things. And the author of Ecclesiastes, if you've never read Ecclesiastes, you should read it and think about it and talk about it and journal about it. There's some powerful stuff in this book and some disturbing stuff in this book. And our Christian tradition, our Jewish traditions, they have so much richness that we should live with and sit with. Consult with elders, read, study, learn about those who have gone before us. Study their lives, especially the lives of those who, 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 who are worthy of of following their example, not just their ideas. And I think this is a tricky thing in the world today. I think we're, we're really idea-based. We love ideas, we love new ideas, we love kind of the front edge of things, but I think wisdom is the capacity of, of the idea taking root and becoming real and manifest in a, in a human's life. If you wanna figure out who to learn from, who to consult with, who to, who to ask, Ask first if their life is one that's worthy of imitation. And then, everything I just said is pretty much also applicable to living elders. Living humans on this planet, whether they are in your proximity to take them out to lunch or coffee, or whether they're people that are alive today that maybe you don't have access to directly, but that you can read and listen to and study. Same thing. Are their lives worthy of imitation? Are they living wise lives? Not just saying wise sounding things, because they're not the same. You can say wise sounding things and not live a wise life, and you can live a wise life and really never say a thing. Dead elders, living elders, consult with them both. Consult with you. Your own experience, and many of us aren't taught this well growing up, but you, within our United Methodist tradition, we have this, this thing called the quadrilateral, which is how we do and interpret and, and do the work of theology, and it, and it includes scripture, tradition, reason, and experience, because we believe that your, your human experience matters and is a, a portal, a, a means of revelation through which God is teaching you not only about who you are and how to be you, but God may also just be teaching you more broadly about the world. So pay attention. And, and, and don't just assume that, that some part of your brain or your heart are just going to like process it all automatically. You may need to intentionally... Find ways and times in your life to sit down and process and to think about your own experience and what they are teaching you and what wisdom you can gain and learn from your own life. Maybe you can learn some things not to do again. Call that learning from mistakes. Maybe you can learn some things that have worked really well and that you want to try again. And you might try those things again later in life and then realize that they've stopped working all of a sudden. And what does that mean? Well, that's another point of reflection, to stop and ask what's going on. But wisdom, it's this, it's this engaged, leaning in, consulting with. It's listening to all of these voices. It's listening to, consulting with, and to, 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 to information, to data, to sources. Knowledge is important. And good sources of knowledge is, are important. And wise people have a good sense of sniffing out BS and, and junk sources of knowledge. Wisdom wisdom is, is seeking truth and it's seeking sources of truth. But it's not just seeking data or flat sort of statistical data or something. It's seeking this multidimensional reality of what is it to be human? What is it to be human beings in relationship with the divine? And that brings me to my last and most important consult. And that is we need to consult with our creator, our maker, with God. God. God actually cares about you and God actually cares about the way you live your life. And wisdom is a gift that can be from God given to you to help you live your life better and in a more whole and authentic and rightly directed way. And the scriptures actually tell us that if you ask for wisdom, God is generous with wisdom and God will give it to us. If we seek God and we pray for wisdom, it will be given to us. And do we consult with the divine? Do we actually stop and ask specifically God, what God's opinions and thoughts and direction are for our lives? What is God's wisdom for Tim? What is God's wisdom for Karina? What is God's wisdom for you? in this time and in this season. And if you have no clue what this time and this season is, those are good questions to start with when you meet with the dead elders, the living elders, you, with sources of knowledge, with the divine, trying to orient yourself, and then once you've oriented yourself, okay, what what do I need to wear to this event, to this season? How do I need to show up to this time in my life? See, those are questions of wisdom that we need to be asking as followers of the Christ, as people of faith. So may it be so, my friends, in the name of God, the Creator God, the Sustainer God, the Redeemer. Amen and amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this week's message, and we look forward to seeing you soon. If you listen from afar and you would like to support the work that we are doing in East Atlanta and on Atlanta's east side, You can visit our website www.eastsideatl.org and find our giving portal there.